man, one-on-one coverage because the safety rolls to Jefferson's side. This guy's like becoming like a circus act. Like he could, <laughs> he could do, he could do this. Von Rock caught a ball with his thighs. We didn't nah, even talk about that. It was more of with his ass. If he throws a good ball, this is a running, catching touchdown untouched. Right. Become who we want to be as individuals, and at the end of the day, that's going to help us be a successful offense. Like, KP does like these flips after every win. Now I'm like just waiting for him to do his flips. You can tune in anywhere that you guys follow us on social media. Shout out to Jalen Ramsey. He sucks. <laughs> Welcome to the Practice Squad Podcast. My name is John. I'm joined by my co-host Mark. And man, we're right back into the thick of things. Free agency, NFL Combine, a lot of draft talk. Uh, there's so much to talk about. And we actually have a very special guest that we're going to be bringing on today as well. So Jam-packed episode. I'm ready to go. A lot, Mark, a lot how, of good how stuff, are you feeling? And, and do you want to intro our guest? Yeah, I'm feeling good. There's a lot of stuff we'll cover today, but we, we want to get into our, our guests. We're really excited to have on a uh, special, special person to me um, personally, but he's he's a very successful longtime NFL coach over 20 years um, between the NFL and college. He's He's been doing it a long time. He actually just entered into retirement. So we're going to bring him on, Coach John Bonamigo, and kind of talk about his career and just hear some cool stories. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing great, Mark. Thank you. How's it, how's it going, John? You good? Oh, yeah, doing great. So awesome. thanks for uh, coming on, and we're, we're really looking forward to kind of hearing your story and digging into a few things. Yeah. Coach, you've, you've kind of been, you know, you've had such a long, successful career, um, and you've you've accomplished so much. Let's, John, if we want to pull up kind of just his timeline of, you know, when you first started coaching uh, high school football all the way to, you know, all of his years in college and NFL and head coach. I mean, he's really accomplished a lot here. And, you know, you can kind of just look down this list. Yeah, that's pretty modest resume we got going there. It's, it's uh, impressive. You know. you know, it's it's something to be proud of, coach. Um, you know, I don't you know, I know when you're in the thick of things, I don't know how much you reflect and just realize how special that is and how impressive it is. But that's something to be proud of. You know, oh, and I think that's really cool. Well, that. And one thing I want to ask too is uh, of these, like, you know, do any of these kind of stand out in your mind just as like kind of staples of your career for any of these teams that you spent time with? Well, they're all special because, the, you know, each of those um, institutions, each one of those experiences represents people. And that's the first and mo- foremost, the most important thing, you know, so it's not about the job or the title or you know, where it is geographically as much as it is the people that you're working with on a daily basis. And that's, you know, that's the players, obviously, but it's also the other people on the staff. I would say, you know, they're all, you know, they're all, they're all special for one reason or another. I think, you know, University of Maine, because, you know, coming out of, out of CMU, wanting to try to get a graduate assistant position. I mean, I, I wrote to every single division, one school in the country, and I got, you know, I think there was 135 at that time. I think I got 130 letters back, and I was naive enough to think that they really were keeping my resume on file. You know, I didn't, I mean, I, I kept a lot, of, a lot of those letters. I still have them in a book. It's, it's, uh, you know, just because I was waiting for somebody to call back, but just to have that first opportunity and then for it to lead to uh, the first full-time opportunity, which is, you know, anybody in the coaching industry knows that that's, that's really the hardest thing when you go from a graduate assistant or nowadays, you know, there's so many ways to get involved as a 
quality control or an analyst position, but then, you know, getting that on the field and one of the countable coaches, that's a, that's an important milestone. Um, you know, Army, my time there, I think, you know, all under coach Bob Sutton, I really uh, had a chance to grow and develop as a coach. It was a tremendous laboratory, uh, you know, of all of the places, you know, that group of, you know, that group of young men, just because of what they stand for, what the experiences that they have, uh, not just as Army football players, but as cadets. And then, you know, leaving the academy and, and going on and, and serving our country, you know, that's a that's a really special group. Um, yeah, special. You know, uh, Jacksonville, uh, special town, special job because it was, again, my first NFL job that led to, you know, that led to me uh, meeting the love of my life, my wife, Paulette. And, uh, you know, so that wouldn't have happened. And then, you know, after that, I think, you know, the Saints uh, was really, really cool uh, just because of the time we got there. I was on Coach Payton's initial staff. Uh, we got there six months right after Katrina, the, the city was still devastated. And, and just, uh, you know, just everything we went through that, that first year training camp and then, you know, playing every preseason game on the road and then even the first two regular season games and then opening at the, you know, when the Superdome reopened, you know, just the energy and the vibe that was surrounded that game, the Monday night game was, it was surreal. Um, you know, Detroit was is, was always special because it was back in Michigan, and you know that led to uh, really my dream job and and having the opportunity to be the head coach at Central Michigan for four years, and then you know, uh, you know, back to Detroit, and then finally out in LA. So I mean, they're all you know they're all unique among themselves. I think uh, they're all they all have a, a lot of great memories, and then. You know, there's a, there's some, there's a lot of them that there's always those games where you wish you had, you know, one more play or, yeah, you know, uh, thirty more seconds or, you know, it, it, that's just the way it is in this business. So, uh, it, it's really about the journey and the people. I, I would say that's if you have one takeaway from this, that, that that's what the, those are the things that are are most important to me. That's awesome, Coach. That's I mean, just having those connections in all those different places and just the amount of people that you've probably inspired or been inspired by. And just during all of that, um, one place that's, that's special. And, and, you know, we'll lead with this question because John's a saints fan. You have a Gleason Jersey breeze Jersey hanging behind you. Um, the, that, that night that you mentioned, right. The, that, that game coming off of Katrina and um, the city kind of just, I mean, it was, it was, it, it was tarnished, right. I mean, it was, people were struggling. Yeah, uh, people were mourning and you want to pull up this clip, John, and, and, and kind of we'll watch it. It's, you know, about a minute of uh, the, the play. And then we, I would love to hear your emotion during it coach and of what this play means to you. And then we'll go into the X's and O's behind it too, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this was following like a fourth down, you know, third down sack. And, uh, you know, we had this scheme drawn up. We had a pretty strong tip going into the game in terms of how they were going to turn the protection. And really, 
you know, we ended up running it to the left, but it could have been run to the right as well. We practice it both ways. Uh, you know, Aaron Stecker, number 27, is the first one through on the A gap on the left side, and Steve Gleason's the one wrapping around to create the overload. And, you know, if we had, if our tip had been the opposite, where we thought they were going to turn the puck protection the other way, it would have been Gleason through first and, and Stecker on, on the, you know, on the wrap. And so, uh, you know, it, it was something that was a pretty simple scheme, nothing too complex, but we had the right people in the right positions. And, uh, you know, I think I surprised Sean a little bit when we got this, you know, we get the uh, sack on third down of the first series. I said, let's, you know, I want to come let's after go him. for it. Let's go for it. And he looked at me, he's like, now? And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the rest is clip, is history. And really, I remember, you know, like I talked to Mike Tirico uh, several times after, you know, after that game. We've, we've, I'd say we're pretty good friends. But I think the, the most telling thing was that, you know, the guys in the booth, they just, they stopped talking. And for about a minute, I mean, the re the roof was about to come out. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like all of that emotion that, that whole city had felt, uh, you know, kind of came to a head just with that, you know. Just with that what, what did that feel like, Coach? I mean, to be a part of did, – did you realize it in the moment of how – like almost like a revival of an entire city? That had sure, been just, I just trying to make sure, I was just trying to make sure we got 11 out there to kick the extra point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we, we were certainly happy. And I mean, it was, I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, it was, it was huge. You know, when you're in the, in the coaching world, you never, you know, never to stay in one moment too long, whether it's right. good, good or bad, because you have, you know, you got the next play, the next series, the next quarter, you know, uh, the next half, the next game that you always have to be, you know, prepared for. So you can't, you know, you can't stay in the past ever. You have to always, you know, right. you know, keep looking forward. Um, right. But it was definitely, you know, I'm glad it was Steve, you know. Um, you know, he's just a phenomenal, a phenomenal human being. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad, you know, he is a, an adopted New Orleanian because, you know, he married into a, a great family there. He still, still lives there. And so, you know, if it was going to be somebody, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that it was Steve Gleason that, that brought, that made the play. Yeah. Coach, there's a, uh, cool story, uh, with Steve Gleason, um, just a couple of years ago. So I, I coach with my dad now. And we were coaching in the state championship a couple seasons ago. And I work for Mark Campbell, um, okay. who who connected with Steve Gleason, and, and his team was also in the state championship. I had Mark. So, yeah, Mark's a, a great guy. Um, but he but he got a quick story about Mark, real quick. Sure. So Reggie Bush's first touchdown, which I think, shoot, uh, let's see if we can do this. Uh, see that right there? Yeah. That's. Uh, on the awesome. far on the far right's the Polaroid that Reggie signed for me. His first NFL touchdown was was a uh, punt return against Tampa Bay, and it was to win the game. You know, I mean, we were, it was uh, 
gosh, it was like a 12-7 game, you know, four minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. They punt the ball to us, and, you know, Josh Bidwell was the punter, puts it right down the middle of the field, and we had a wall return, and he goes untouched and scores. Well, Mark wasn't a starter on the punt return team, but he was a backup, right? So on third down, I forget who it was, it goes down. I mean, the guy's out, right? And so I got to send Mark in. I'm like, go on, we're going to the left back, backer position. And he looks back at me and he goes, what do I do? And I just, the original scheme was to, for him to hold up the guard and, and trail him. But I didn't tell Mark at the time, I didn't think he could run well enough to stay with that guy. So I, I said, force the B gap and wrap to the wall. And he ends up, you know, forcing the B gap coming around and ends up making a key block. We had several of them on that play. But, you know, it, you talk about speaking the same language, the ability to midstream adjust, communication, all of those things. You know, it goes both ways. You know, you can't, you know, to his credit, I, you know, we joke around about like, yeah, I didn't think you could run with them. But, <laughs> you know, he understood what had to be done because he put the time in and, and uh, you know, it just, it just worked out perfectly for us. But anyways, that's, that's, I mean, that's awesome. yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an awesome I mean, that's, story. And he was prepared for his yeah. moment. He was. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And, know, and as, a, as a Saints fan, like I'm, I'm like smiling ear to ear, just hearing all of that too. And like, yeah. I got to ask, you know, a huge reason why I, I, so avidly like watched the saints and loved the saints was just because of the relationship. I think that Sean Payton and Drew Brees had, I know that yeah. you've kind of been in the league. Like, do you feel like that really was a special and unique? Oh, there isn't any question about it. It was no successful doubt. for that long. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a match made in heaven. Um, you know, just the two temperaments, how they think, you know, but I think, you know, Drew Brees is a special guy, you know, when it comes to his, you know, uh, for just his attention to detail, his meticulous work ethic, his, you know, I mean, this guy put in, when I say he put in coaches hours, you know, Friday is like the day uh, in the NFL where players are out the door at noon and, and usually the coaches aren't, aren't gone much, you know, much later than that. Um, you know, I was always like one of the last people to leave on Fridays and with, without question, you know, Drew was always, always in the quarterback room, uh, you know, watching film, taking notes. And this is, you know, it's on a Friday and like I said, everybody else in the building's gone. Um, you know, there wasn't a day where if he missed a throw in practice, there wouldn't be, you know, there wasn't a day where he wouldn't keep guys after practice, you know, and he would he would make that throw again over and over and over until he felt like, you know, he felt good about it. And, you know, he might not have the guys running the whole whole route, you know, probably just the top of the route, but right. he would be taking us full drop, you know, full speed, helmet on, shoulder pads on. And, you know, it's it, it's not a secret why he was so successful you know he had just you know the you know he had all Incredible the physical, competitor the, yeah. the physical tools and the mental capacity but 
you know, the competitive drive, the work ethic, you know, and then the attention to detail and, and really, you know, being able to set your ego aside as well. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a rare combination that you see that somebody has all of those qualities, the tangible and the intangible. That's really what, what makes them great. That's awesome. Yeah. And, um, and just to finish too with the Steve Gleason, I mean, you got the Jersey hanging behind you. Um, you know, long story short, he made a, a, uh, pregame speech that, that Mark was able to get and he sent it to our, our high school team before our, our game. And it was just super inspiring, uh, everything that he had to say. And, uh, my dad was just, you know, in awe of, of his words and we ended up losing the game, but just incredible person, you know, mm-hmm. and it's when you, when you came on and you had the Gleason Jersey behind you, I mean, we had already planned to talk about that and ask the, about the blocked punt has just worked out where you, you know, you had that and drew Brees to the first two questions about the first two people yeah. we talk about, you got hanging right behind you. Yeah. I've got um, a whole a whole wall up here. I don't have as much room as I need to put everything up, but I try to, you know, I've got, I've got Calvin and I've got Brett Favre up here and I've got Tony Baselli and that's, and then, pretty good class, uh, pretty good class there. Those are the only ones I've got room for, you know. <laughs> uh, one question I also had was, uh, you know, you spent a lot of time coaching college and you spent a lot of time coaching NFL. Uh, a lot of guys don't really make that transition super well. And I think it's just because, you know, different athlete, different profile, right? Those guys are at very different stages in their career. Uh, do you feel like you had to make any adjustments as a coach to kind of go back and forth between those two types of players? And is there any kind of like wisdom that you could maybe pass on to other coaches uh, as far as making that transition goes? I, I just think you always have to understand what your audience is, but coaching is coaching. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not about what you know, it's about what the players can, you know, what they know, what you can teach them and what you can get them to go out and collectively execute, whether it's offense, defense, or in the kicking game. And I just think, um, you know, I've always been big on the fundamentals. So, you know, that's that was going to be a part of everything that we did to try to, you know, and it's, oh, the fundamentals, well, there's a lot to it. You know, there's an awful lot to it. And when it's taught the right way, it transitions to every aspect of offense and defense. And, you know, even, you know, even seasoned veterans, you know, when you can give them something to sink their teeth in that makes sense to them, you know, you're not teaching anything different than you would to, a, you know, a, a high school freshman, you know, but, but those things are, that's what the game, those are the building blocks that your techniques and then eventually your schemes are built off of, um, you know, obviously, I think, you know, the relationships are, are, are super important. I think, um, you know, in the NFL, um, it's more about, I think, teaching guys, especially young players, what it means to be a professional and trying to help them improve their craft so that they can use their skills and continue to make a living. And I think that, you know, they're, you do have relationships, but it's so transient. It's it's not the same as like, you know, I think in the college realm, uh, always, always, um, I always valued the mentoring aspect of, of coaching. I think that that's really important. I think it's, and a lot of times it's maybe underrated just how important that is, especially 
you know, Mark, at the, at the high school level where, you, you know, right. you're, you're catching, you know, young men in their formative years. And I mean, you know, the, the confidence that they can get by learning to play a position or having, you know, it just, it, it can never be understated how much that can do to help a person become a, you know, I mean, hey, look, that's the reason I went to college. I mean, it, I wanted to play college football. You know, the education, which I value much more now, uh, you know, that was a byproduct, really, I'm just being honest, of me wanting to go and play, you know, four more years, five more years of football somewhere. Right. Um, so, you know, I just don't think that, uh, you know, when you're entrusted in that role, I think it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's one of the most important roles that you can have. It really is. I mean, uh, that's why the, the title coach, you know, to be a coach to me has always been, you know, I address coaches as coach because just more, more out of respect than anything else. And uh, I don't know if I answered the question, but that's how I feel about it. You <laughs> yeah, definitely did. Uh, coach, one, one play that we, you know, we got to watch. John, if we can pull up the, the miracle of Oklahoma State. I, I just never gets old. People have added Titanic soundtracks over it. They, they, <laughs> but if we could play with the volume, John, and just let's listen to it. And then, Coach, okay, we me, can break this down. Shot. Yeah, I just – I'd love for our audience to hear the announcer's natural react. Because they say the game's not over till there's zeros on the clock, you know. But there are zeros on the clock. Is it a shotgun? Three players lined up essentially by the goal line. Rush stepping up. Throw it to crawl, catches the lateral. Here comes Willis, Willis, right there to the end zone. Never gets Touchdown! It's just Michigan does it. Just the raw emotion of the announcing, I think, tells the story. But coach, can can you kind of break this play down a little bit and just talk about? I mean, did, did, was this practiced? Was this no? I mean, was this just a prayer? It wasn't practiced that way. It was really, it's it's just three Ram hurricane. Uh, you know, three Ram is the protection. Hurricane was the route, which was really just a, a uh, you know, your traditional Hail, Hail Mary. I think, Hail Mary. and uh, I think Corey actually busted and ended up trailing and Jesse Kroll just had a knack for that stuff. You know, it's funny because the, I heard one of the announcers say that, uh, you know, Cooper Rush didn't have the arm strength to get to the ball to the end zone. That's that's not the case. That wasn't the case at all. I think Cooper saw an opportunity to complete the ball, complete the pass, and right. give ourselves a chance to get a play started, and that's what he did. And so, you know, honestly, most of what I remember about this particular play was a lot of the aftermath and a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, the fallout that had that came you know with it unfortunately because you know it shouldn't it turns out it shouldn't have happened um you know but i've always gone back and said look it shouldn't have but it did you know they it had 11, yeah we had 11 on the field we had 11 on the field and we made a play and they they should have stopped it and um you know there were people that w really wanted you know newspaper articles that, you know, wanted me to, you know, vacate the victory, questioned my integrity. And I'm like, not going to happen. You know, our not kids, gonna happen. 
our guys work too hard to put themselves in position, not just not just for that play, but the whole entire 60 minutes of the game. You know, honestly, it's yeah. like, you know, we stayed within, you know, within striking difference. I mean, I and I still remember Devin Spaulding bawling his eyes out because the, you know, the offensive drive prior to that, he he turned the ball over. You know, we were driving right. within regulation, turned the ball over, and then, you know, they tried to run the clock out. And, you know, that play is one that everybody has in their playbook. It's, you know, we call it Big Ben, where, you know, um, on an incomplete pass, it goes out of bounds. The clock doesn't stop until the ball hits the ground. So, but, you know, my argument was that Oklahoma State had done it from a tight formation, right? They threw the ball downfield and there was no, yeah, there was no yeah. receiver anywhere near. That's right. That's grounding by definition where, you know, we practiced that we always had a split receiver and we're going to throw it in that direction. Right. Right. So, um, you know, I don't know if the, I doubt the rule will ever get changed, but that was, that was my argument is, and that's, you know, they bought it. You know, I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. we'll take, we'll take it. You know, it, they, they give you an opportunity to take what they, what they give you. Um, you know, you were, you were always a great motivator, you know, coach. And um, you had some awesome, you, for, you know, most people probably don't know, but when I was playing for you, you would do these pre-practice meetings. Okay. And a lot of times the meeting would start, you, you would never know what it was going to be, right. It would be a, a video. It'd be a, might be a movie clip, might be a, a story about a bull. And there's all kinds of stuff that, that was told, but this one stuck with me because I had never seen the movie and I'm Italian and, you know, you mentioned if you're if you're Italian in this room and you haven't seen this, you need to go home and watch. I went home and watched it after. But you played this clip, you know, the the famous "Now's you can't leave" quote. Um, you want to talk a little bit about why you chose this clip and why you yeah. showed it and, and what the message was? You have a whole library of stuff that I've used over the years, and a lot of it came from special teams meetings. But this one in particular was about playing at playing at home versus playing on the road. You know, you have a you have a good opponent, a tough opponent coming in, you know, playing in your stadium. You know, you, we don't want to be a, well, you know, you come in, you know, but once they start to disrespect, then the game changes. And so we're going to defend, you know, we're going to defend our turf, defend our territory. So that was the whole message behind that one. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite. <laughs> I went home, I watched it that night. I said, okay, I understand. I understand why he chose that clip. Um, but that was one of my favorite things that you that you had pulled up and and chose for something to try to inspire the team. You know, any any edge you could find of motivation, you found it. You know, and I think we we were pretty motivated after that clip. Absolutely. Um, another question I had too is uh, obviously you spent some time with the Lions and you spent some time with the Rams. Uh, what was kind of the the whisperings around the building when that Stafford trade was brewing up? And uh, do you feel like you know? He, he was kind of a different player coming to LA that made him successful, or you think he's the same guy and he just had a better, you know, support, be it coaching or, you know, I the think, guys he was on the field with. I think I've always been a Matt Stafford fan. You know, it's when you're around him, it's hard not to be, you know, number one, he's, he's uh, incredibly talented. Two is they don't come any tougher. And three is he's a phenomenal teammate, you know, and it doesn't, he treated, everybody the same 
you know, it would be, uh, it didn't matter if it was a 10 year vet or, you know, somebody that just came on the practice squad, you know, Matt Stafford was going to be Matt Stafford, which is to be, you know, a consummate, you know, professional. Um, I was excited because I knew both personalities, you know, I could, I watched, uh, Sean McVay work for a year, you know, and how he communicates and how he, how he runs his offense. And uh, just knowing Matt, I felt like, man, this was going to be in his personality and his, I just felt like it was going to be a, a really great, great marriage, you know, of, of uh, two very like-minded individuals, very, you know, very similar to the, you know, we talked about, you know, the, uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, you know, and again, it's two different personalities, you know, but are they going to mesh? And I mean, you saw what happened in year one. I mean, yeah, have that chemistry, you know. Yeah. And I've got a Stafford jersey. I got to get that up here. <laughs> got to add that to the collection. <laughs> okay. Coach, you, you won a lot of games and you had a lot of success um, and a lot of tough battles, but maybe your toughest battle was probably beating cancer, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about that and just kind of the emotional roller coaster that came with that? It was obviously a shock and then to be able to beat it and, and inspire yeah, I mean, a whole bunch of people in the process. You know, I think I just gotten the central job, been on the job for like five months. And, um, you know, I was in Florida for my son's graduation. I get this lump sticking out of my neck and, um, you know, cancer diagnosis doesn't happen overnight. And if it does, it's probably really, really bad, you know? So it's not like you just go in and they, you know, take your blood pressure, or give you a blood test and say, oh, this is what you got. You know, it's a, it's a process of elimination. And, you know, you're thinking in the back of your mind that it could be this, but you don't know yet. And then, you know, when you get the diagnosis, it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do now? You know, and for me, it was, you know, there was a couple things. Number one, you know, we had a teammate that uh, was fighting it for his third time and wasn't doing really well. And that was a Derek Nash, you know, so right. that was that was the number one thing for me. Number two, because of that, um, it was important to me that I was the one to share the information with the team. I was deathly afraid uh, that somehow then it would get leaked, you know, cause I was going to doctor visits down in Ann Arbor, but I, I was also frequent, you know, regularly going into like the, the, the cancer ward there in Mount Pleasant. And I just, you know, I, I kind of, tried to sneak around because I mean, it just takes one person in a small, especially a small town like Mount Pleasant for a rumor to get going. That was the number one thing I was really afraid of is, is uh, that something would get out. I, I wanted the team to hear, hear it from me. And, um, you know, the, the last part was, you know, um, man, I had just worked too hard. I'd come too far to not, you know, try to coach through it. You know, we ask players to play injured all the time. You know, this was something that, again, it was, it's personal. It's up to your own tolerance. And I, you know, can you handle it? And, and you know, I have a great support system starting at home with my wife, Paulette, my kids, and then back at, uh, 
at the office with our coaching staff and then our players. And I just more or less put it to them that, look, this is just another opponent we've got on our schedule, but this is one, one that I've got to fight on my own. And, uh, you know, what I need you guys to do is just stay focused on the things that we can control and getting ready for the season and, and our opponents because – there may be some empathy there from the opponents, but when we play them, they're going to try to beat us. You know, they're not going to care that your coach has cancer. It's not going to make any difference to them. They're going to still want to go out and, and win the game. And so right. I'm not going to let that be any kind of cr crutch. But the overriding thing for me, I think, was I didn't want to let anybody down. You know, when you're the head coach of a, you know, at any level, you know, there are a lot of people that's depending on you. There's a lot of people that are going to, affected by the decisions that you make and you know I had a staff of you know I had a staff and their families to think about and then you know we had a whole team and a group of seniors that were going into their their final year of football and I didn't want to let them down and so um, I, I gained a lot of my strength just from that keeping that in mind and you know when I think back on it now it was really, it was really a blur. You know, you really, you really are living and kind of just making, you know, making it through sometimes, you know, minute by minute uh, or hour by hour, day by day. You know, the, there isn't enough time to talk about all the, the symptoms and all of that stuff, but it's, it's grueling. Um, it, it's not easy, but I think the, fact that I had football, um, that I had something other than how I was feeling to take away, you know, to keep my mind off of that uh, is, you know, it really helped me make it through because you're always thinking about the, you know, the next practice, the next play, you know, again, like I said earlier in the show, you're always, you're always focused on what's coming up next you can't you can't live on you know or succeed if you stay in the past and it seems like coaching in general has like a lot of highs and lows that then you're responsible for kind of emotionally regulating yourself through all of that and do you think like you know you've had a lot of success do you attribute some of your success to just kind of be able to like oh like those things that should get you excited okay we got to focus on the next and we can't you let know, this stuff is, you can't you can't ride the roller coaster i think that's true in life you know i think that you know you're going to go through your life and you're going to have really good times and you're going to have times that are are tougher and you know you just have to when it's tough you just have to you know keep your nose at a grindstone and know that better days are coming ahead and then you know, when you have success, you know, don't, you know, don't forget what it took to get there and how, because, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's harder to stay than it is to arrive. You know, I always say that, you know, excellence, it's a, it's a process. It's not a destination. It's not, you know, you don't just all of a sudden arrive at excellence. It's something that you work on daily, you know, meticulously all the time. You're, you're constantly, working at being excellent and if, you know that it's the habits that you develop it's uh it's the relationships that you develop and it's the the knowledge that you gain by always questioning you know uh and studying questioning yourself um you know is there a better way to do this you can't you can't always think that there's only one way there's always a lot of ways and 
you know, great coaches are, they figure that out. You know, a lot, you can't, you know, I, that's why I really in my heart believe that like some of the best coaches I know are coaching high school football because they don't get to go out and recruit. All right. They have to constantly, you know, year in, year out, maybe adjust to what they're doing schematically. They're always studying the game. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of really great, great coaches coaching high school football. It's not about where you're at and what, you know, I was very blessed to have this career that I've had, you know, in the NFL and in college, but, you know, I never set out to be an NFL coach that happened. You know, I just wanted to be, I, wrote, I had a goal to be a, 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 a head coach. That was, that was like my only like big goal. Uh, you know, the rest of the time is it's trying to be the best that you can be where you're at. You know, there's, I think too many people, uh, spend too much time, effort, and energy, you know, trying to go the next level when we're really, if they put that same time, passion, effort, and energy into where they were at, they'll get to where they want because they're going to do well. And somebody's, somebody's going to notice if you do a good enough job long enough, somebody's going to notice. Yeah, that's incredible advice. Um, and I guess one last question for you before we let you go here is, you know, you recently retired and huge congrats for that. But instead of kicking your feet up, uh, you're actually starting a new endeavor with a PSN. I got two Sports kids Network. in college. <laughs> <laughs> I still have two left, you know, that are on scholarship. So, and they're the Bonamigo scholarship, not athletic scholarships. But <laughs> um, no, I was incredibly fortunate to have like earned a, a pension through the NFL and really through, a contact going back to my days at Army, you know, started to look at some different things uh, and considering different opportunities that might uh, come up outside of football. And because my pension won't allow me to be employed in the sport of football. And uh, this opportunity came up with BSN Sports. It's the, you know, we're the largest um, distributor of athletic apparel and equipment in the United States. We have every major brand going down, you know, from Nike to Under Armour. Um, we do it all, uniforms, helmets, uh, soccer goals. I mean, we have a you, that one right there. There's a branch on there that does branding for, for campuses. It's, it's really, uh, I've been, been here just over a week now and I'm blown away at all of the different things you talk about one-stop shopping you know if you're a school you know if you're a high school head coach or administrator and you're you guys are not with bsn you need to be with bsn because it just makes it so much easier because you can literally do everything um you know we've got a a tremendously large sales force uh you know i think there's over two thousand. you know so there's always somebody nearby uh, and you know my my job description is to develop new business uh, using some of my relationships uh, the new branch is uh, BSN Sports Pro Select and so uh, I'm going to use be using my contacts to try to get BSN and a few more NFL locker rooms and some other places as well and uh, I'm really looking forward to it what, what I'm most looking forward to is uh, I can stay right here in Florida, um, enjoy our home, uh, be home with my wife and kids. I'll be able to travel some 
still stay connected, be able to see a lot of people that I that I care about, uh, communicate with them on a regular basis. But uh, man, it's just uh, been a really great opportunity, tremendous company. And um, I'm really, really proud and happy to be joining the BSN team because that's what it is. It's a new team. I'm sure they're glad to have you too with a lifetime of football connections to work as well. And I mean, not to mention just the leadership and competitive drive. I mean, Cody, I mean, you retired what a few weeks ago and, and, you know, already ready to jump into a new challenge and a new opportunity, which is it just, I think that just shows the why you had so much success as a coach and why you're probably going to absolutely crush this new role. And, um, you know, we're excited to see how well you do with it and, I um, appreciate you coming on and bought and, a new boat. It better pay something. <laughs> <laughs> we, we coach, this was an awesome, uh, awesome time having you, you guys, on. You guys come John. down to Palm coast. We'll go out on the boat, man. That'll, hey, we, that's, sounds that's perfect. A, that's a, sounds like an awesome time. <laughs> Thanks so that much for coming like awesome on time. coach. We really I appreciate, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Coach. Anytime. Awesome. Thank hey, you. Have a good one. Thanks you coach. Bye-bye. I mean, what an awesome guest, obviously just a, a lifetime of experience to pull from. Um, and like, I mean, dude, you saw, you saw me, I was getting giddy just hearing about all of the Saints <laughs> stuff. I'm like, man, he was right there for all when of that first, stuff that made me a Saints fan. Like, when we first killer. brought him in, right? Like we first added him into our, our stream here, obviously he had the bruising, bruising, uh, Gleason jerseys hanging behind him. And so, you know, if you're not watching it, you know, you can check it out on YouTube, but He's got those right behind him. And I saw John's face, literally his jaw <laughs> raised up. Um, just hilarious, man. I mean, just what an awesome guest. You know, I, I was, I had the, I had the opportunity to play for him. Um, coach Bono saw something to me that no other division one coach saw yet. Uh, he was my, the first division one coach to give me a chance. Um, and I'll never forget that we were at a Wayne state, you know, uh, hybrid camp between Wayne state and central. He kind of followed me around for a few drills and at the end, he, I was, I was sitting there talking to my dad and a couple other players there. And, uh, all of a sudden he taps me on his shoulder. I turn around, it's, it's coach. Um, and that's pretty rare for the head coach to just kind of come up and talk to random players. And he said, listen, if, you know, if you want to come uh, play division one football, you have a home at central Michigan. And I just, you know, it, it was like, I turned to my dad and I was just like, did you hear that? And he's like, yeah, I heard that. And then, uh, you know, a few other opportunities followed, but I, those would not have came had he not given me a chance that day. And just to see it come full circle and, and see all of his success in one episode. I mean, that's like why that's why I wanted to get into in, into doing this show, John, and why I reached out to you and why I thought you'd be an awesome co-host because I knew we could do this together. And I knew that being able to share, help people share stories like he just shared that sometimes don't get out there. I mean, how many how many times has he told that story, but you know, in a room of five people, I, I hope people can listen to this and enjoy it. You yeah. Know? I mean, I putting, putting a spotlight on all of those small stories, I think is really, you know, what makes doing this show fun. And also it just like, it shows light on like how small the football world is at the end of the day. Obviously, yeah. you know, Mark Campbell's your boss. Mark Campbell <laughs> used to be my neighbor and also, uh, you know, coach, uh, coach Mark Campbell and was, you know, helping him out with, with apparently special teams that, that led to Reggie Bush's first touchdown as an NFL player. So just all the, the, the ways that that football kind of intertwines in everybody's lives. It's super cool. Um, and look, I'm going to sit here and talk saints all day because a huge thing just happened with saints news. We finally got ourselves a quarterback. 
Derek Carr oh, coming on. Hundred yeah. million dollar guaranteed contract. I'm personally really excited about it, and here is why. And I, I, I posted a, a TikTok about this the other day, right? Derek Carr has never had the support of his general management and ownership. He just bit the bullet year after year for nine years with the Raiders. Mickey Loomis is the most stable ship as a GM that there can possibly be. He's a salary cap gymnast. He's, a, I'd say, a 10 out of 10 uh, in the draft, right? He's always known how to draft well. good yeah. talent. Um, there's just not going to be this turbulence that Derek Carr has dealt with. And additionally, the Saints are a top 10 defense year over year over year. Well, Derek Carr's never had so much as a top 20 defense his entire career. So people are like, oh, like, you know, his completion percentage, his win percentage, they're not where they need to be at. I disagree. I think that Derek Carr is a great fit for the Saints. I think that he is going to add to some of that stability. And again, like I look around the NFC South, right? And we'll, we'll get into this conversation. Right? Falcons are not pursuing Lamar. Uh, we don't know what Tampa's doing at quarterback. The Panthers are not pursuing Lamar. So far, that's the best quarterback in the NFC South. And we saw what a good quarterback in a weak NFC division was able to do when it came to Green Bay beating up on the rest of the NFC North year after year after year. I think we're in a really good spot to see Derek Carr take the Saints yeah. to new uh, new heights and and win the NFC South next year. Yeah, you ha you have every right to be excited, John, and I can tell you were prepared to have that. You did not. It's like you were ready. You were just like a loaded gun going off with every single reason <laughs> why. Listen, you have every reason to be happy, and um, you know Derek Carr is one of those talented dudes that just the situation's never been right, and that happens all the time in football. I mean, we, we've talked about before on the show where guys in the wrong situations, you know, sometimes you give them the right situation, they become something really special. And Derek Carr has shown signs of being special. He just never had the team around him. He's had coaching issues. He says, all, I mean, the Raiders have just been a disaster basically the entire time he's been there. He's been the only stable thing that they've had. Um, and so I'm excited to see him get a new opportunity. I know he's probably fired up and, and it's a challenge and an opportunity to prove a lot of people wrong. Anytime you're treated wrongly um, by a team that you gave everything you had to, you're going to want to prove those people wrong. They, they, I mean, they gave up on him and he said, okay, well, I'm going to go prove you wrong. And I hope he does. And I, you get to be the benefactor of that being a saints fan. And um, that's, that's awesome for you. Uh, but we have a ton of news, dude. We have a ton of yeah, news. So yeah. we, we get we, to lead we with your thing. Car. Yep. And no, then, okay, um, next one, Lamar Jackson got the non-exclusive franchise tag, which I believe locks him in for $32 million for this year. And look, from what I can tell, all the rumors buzzing around the NFL right now, Lamar is not happy to be a Raven. Period. Do you want, John, do you want to explain? Because some people, some people get a little bit confused with the franchise tag, right? If you're sure. not... If you don't follow football very closely, if you want to kind of explain what that is a little bit or just kind yeah. of give a general So every every NFL team gets to use one franchise tag for one player a year, and it's usually a, a high-value position player. Um, you know, it, for this run, it was a lot of quarterbacks and it was a lot of running backs, but, you know, it can be applied to anybody. And so uh, the uh, this, this entire exclusive franchise tag thing is actually kind of a, a new concept to me too. So I'm sorry if I botched the explanation there, but for a standard non-exclusive franchise tag, basically what it is, is we're not locking you in for a long-term contract. We are going to give you the average of the top five salaries at your position for this year, right? So it's by no means screwing the player over, right? He's a top five paid player in the league as a result of the franchise tag. 
and that allows them to prolong having to get a long-term deal done. So it's, you know, good for the, uh, the team tagging the player more often than it is good for the player. Cause it's only a one year thing. You know, there's no long-term obligation there. Um, and then the exclusive franchise tag, I believe it, it raises the salary some amount. And then it says that the player cannot get out of that agreement whatsoever, unless whatsoever. a team comes with, I think two first round picks. To trade, I think, right? I think, yeah, I think is the, it, so, it's such a complex thing, dude. And honestly, I never understood it until a couple of years ago. Um, it, there's just so many moving parts with it. And it's become, I think it's become much more common for teams to use it in recent years. I don't think it used to be as common, but I mean, it's, it's a no brainer for the Ravens to do this. You, in my, in my opinion, you have Lamar Jackson, who I think he's a high risk player. You know what I mean? Like the, his play style's risky. Um, he, he has shown that he can win football games, but he hasn't won the, the big ones yet, right? The playoff games, he hasn't been able to kind of take them where they need to go. And they've had some really good teams, really good defenses, and really good running games. Um, I, I think this is the right move by them, and it's going to be a matter of what Lamar takes of it, right? I think in the coming days, we'll probably find out what's going to happen here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is – it's big if they're able to keep him on the tag. I think Lamar would be dumb to not. Uh, I just, mean, it's it's thirty two million dollars in one year, which is about how much he got paid for his rookie contract total total over five years. Yeah. So I don't. And if he I, plays well, he's going to get a fat, you know, Deshaun Watson size contract the following. But here's the thing: is that it's it's a whole additional year in which Lamar now needs to be very careful about his injury status, which I guarantee you he will be. I guarantee you he'll be running out of bounds more than he'll be charging through runs, that kind of situation. The other thing too, is that when this franchise tag happened all in unison, right? Like, like a choir, almost Miami, Atlanta Raiders. Uh, I think there was one other franchise that I might be forgetting all came out and said, we are not pursuing a trade for Lamar Jackson as a result of this franchise tag. And I forgot who it was that I saw on Twitter mention this, but I agree with the sentiment, which is, could this be the ownership and the management of all of these teams saying in unison, no, a Deshaun Watson contract is not the market. We're not doing that. If you want that type of contract, you talk to the Browns about it. The rest of us are not interested in $200 million guaranteed contracts. Like that's, ridiculous it breaks an, the market it's not conducive for a success it's an interesting game. theory i mean listen you know that the owners are all connected man i mean listen right. there's not once you're in the billionaire category and you own an nfl team i mean you pretty much hang out with other billionaires and that's like i mean that's it's your a life little you know? exclusive club it's an sure. exclusive it's it's the it's the billionaire <laughs> club and you know billionaires that own teams are even more exclusive so um i mean just ask uh just ask, you know, Amazon, you know, trying to get in and, and, and have their hands on the Washington commanders and, you know, Jeff Bezos and all these people. And it's like, and the okay. dance letter was like, no, <laughs> like, what, you, yeah, what dude, because they don't, say no? they don't want, they don't want to let a new guy in, you know, it, know. It's, you, you could have a point there. Um, obviously conspiracy, who knows if we'll ever know the truth there, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. And then you, you want to talk, we'll stay in the quarterback category here. Uh, you can be as fired up as you want about Derek Carr. I'm fired up to see Aaron Rodgers, and it sounds like the New York Jets is becoming more and more of a reality. Obviously, it's John. You said before we came on here, you think 80% leaning that way. I think it. I I don't know with Rodgers that you can ever set a percentage because he's just so, you know, he's just he's Aaron Rodgers. He's just one of a kind. You don't know where he's going to end up. 
I'm at a point now, and this is just my analysis on this, right? He's not retiring because who the hell would want to retire not making the playoffs for the first time as a starting quarterback? And the money. He's not walking away from that money. He's not walking away from that money because I don't care how wealthy you already are and successful you already are. It's a lot he's, of money. He's due for $40 million this year. That, no matter which way you shake it down, be it dead cap or whatever, like $40 million is the price tag. Then you have Green Bay, who sounds pretty eager to move on because they're done with doing the, the Aaron Rodgers show every offseason, right? Because honestly, right. I think it's distracting for how they build out the rest of the team. And then you have the Jets flying to Green Bay today as we record this to talk to Aaron Rodgers and the management directly about what has to get done in order to make this trade happen. To me, like, that's why I put 80%, right? Like, this is... This is the most I've seen point in one direction towards Aaron Rodgers not being a Green Bay Packer than I've seen in the past three years of all these stupid shenanigans that we have to deal with every year. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm with you. I, I, but I, I think if you're the Jets, I think it's the right move. I mean, you have like, I mean, if there's ever a time to go all in, I mean, we saw with the Rams and you know how Coach Bono said, if there's a chemistry, talented young talent, if, decent if offensive line, dude. Hackett has a chemistry that worked with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you're looking at yep. two MVP seasons with that guy, you know? Yep. So top five clearly, defense in the league. Like, yeah, I mean, it, you listen, the chemistry is there between your quarterback and your play caller. You have a great defense. Like you just mentioned, um, you have a team that's never been hungrier to win. Uh, that's been in a winning drought forever. It seems like, and you know, it's a big market media, you know, and Aaron Rodgers clearly likes the spotlight. I don't, I don't really see where this doesn't happen. Um, but again, I'm not going to ever say something set because that dude is, you never know. I mean, he might yeah. crawl back into a hole for the next five days and come out and say that he wants to go to the Arizona Cardinals. Like, I right. no one knows or, what he's going to want. Or, you know, he's probably, he just stays as a Packer because they're not able to figure out a package that makes I sense for like, both organizations. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's, there's a chance, you know, that kind of similar thing happened last year. It's, it's obviously way worse this year than it was last year, but you just never know. Um, yeah, and you know, I I don't even know if Aaron Rodgers has any contempt for Green Bay. I really don't think that's the vibe. I think generally speaking, like because obviously last year they were really on the same page. Any of the like beef that they had to get figured out, they got figured out and they signed him to a huge ass contract. So that's clearly not the issue. But I do think that Aaron Rodgers wants to win and I think that Green Bay is like, okay, we made this investment in Jordan Love and he is not going to be a Green Bay Packer next year unless we actually like try to act on, you know, playing him. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, we're going to be covering this every single week until, you know, there's, there's which he loves and which he wants. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we do it every season. We, we bite every single season because it's impossible not to. So he's a special player, man. He's a special player. Uh, um, speaking of special players, Derek Henry. On the trading block? On the tra so Titans are imploding. Uh, we had JP Kirby on what, about a month ago. Big Titans fan to kind of talk about everything. That's, I guess they just don't like having talent. He kind of, he kind of, this is kind of what he asked for. He kind of asked for, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to get rid of AJ Brown, you're going to get rid of Tannehill. You're going to, you know, you're going to do all this stuff. You might as well just kind of like reboot. reset. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, new, new GM. So he's obviously going to want his own guys with his own contract negotiations in there. And honestly, man, like, the Derrick Henry market is going to be hot. Buffalo could use it. Um, I Texans, just, I think, might be interested. I, we've said this, John. We've said this a million times on this show, but you're you're dumb if you pay a running back. I don't care how. I don't. I really don't care if you pay a running back that's in his prime already. You, it's too late because 
he's got maybe one or two years left of this level but of play. He already has had injury issues the last two seasons. I think Henry is aware of that, and I don't think he's going to try to break the market because I think if he tries to break the market, he's he's not going to get what he wants out of the situation. I I, I don't know what happened with Le'Veon Bell when he was. I mean, he was the peak, like you know. Running back, right? Two years in a row, just the fantasy. Two years in a row, just dominated. You know, catching balls on the backfield, running. He had this weird patient run style that everyone fell in love with, and he bet on himself. And he and he said, you know, I'm the best running back, and I need to get that money. He he screwed himself out of a lot of money. And I don't know if Derrick Henry's going to do anything like that, but I just the the. I mean, I I look at Ezekiel Elliott. Look at Ezekiel Elliott. They had to franchise tag Tony Pollard, who's a better player right now than Ezekiel. It's not even close. Yep. And but they they no one wants to eat that Ezekiel Elliott contract. And honestly, that's why I want the Lions to move off of Swift. And I know we have disagreements there. Jamal Williams is not going to break the bank. He knows the type of player he is, and he knows his fit in Detroit is special. Um. And it sounds like they actually already got a deal done, but they can't officially sign the paperwork until the 15th. Yeah, he, so he tweeted something that was pretty, pretty obvious that he's sticking around. Yeah, exactly. So obviously he wouldn't do that unless him and Holmes had a, a pretty solid conversation around the same page. I, I think this is the year that we need to draft Swift's replacement though. Uh, very deep running back class. If, if we don't go for, you know, a guy like Bijan, like there's still tank Bigsby or like other, you know, there's five a, six seven eight class. other running backs that you could grab in the second or third round that would be plenty effective um and behind that offensive line right like that's not a position you want to uh break the bank for so we'll see what happens buffalo's running back needy uh henry has a better chance of winning there so he might bring down you know uh the cost a little bit just because of that we'll see what happens what um, are what are you thinking about um i mean we have we have Geno Smith and Daniel Jones also kind of those are like the lower level and, quarterbacks. And frankly, but in the... Both of them surprised the shit out of me. I thought Seahawks were a lock G- for drafting a quarterback because Geno didn't that. surprise me. He surprised me. He played because really well. He played really well, but a three year contract where I believe all three years are guaranteed, right? You're you're looking at that and you're saying, Okay, if you're gonna draft a quarterback this year, are you set on having him sit behind Geno Smith for three years? I don't know if that's the strategy. I guess we'll find out. But here's, like- here's my thought with it, John, and, and this is always going to be a quarterback discussion thing with with teams that are in that situation, right? You have a guy who's above average who had a he played way better than people expected him to. You don't know if it's going to last. Do you bet on him, right, with ten years of experience in the league and he's learned from some really good veterans and he showed he could take a team to the playoffs last year, or do you go bet on a guy coming out of college who's twenty three years old? And but I don't that's care what how I'm good they are. Like, why don't you sign Gino to like a two year deal then? Yeah. Right. Like that's a lot of guaranteed money and it's a pretty lengthy amount of time. If you're thinking rookie quarterback this year, which maybe they're not. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I love the idea of having a, a guy develop behind a vet, right? Like that's why the more I've thought about it, the more I wouldn't hate if the Lions drafted a quarterback this year. I'd prefer next year when they did that, but I would, understand it, it would have to be late, late, late. And it would have to be Max Duggan. For me to prove it, any anyone else? I don't. I don't think. I, well, I just even like what, like Hendon Hooker in the third round, maybe like too early, not... dude. I don't think. No, we got. I don't think we draft a quarterback that high, I, even if he's available. I just. I don't think this. This isn't a very strong quarterback class, really. To be honest with you, I mean, that's invented in the fifth or sixth round, maybe. Like, I wouldn't be if mad it, about. I that, would be honestly. anybody that. Yeah, I mean, anything past the fourth round, you know, I would say even past the fifth round. Like, if you can get a sixth or seventh round 
quarterback like Stetson Bennett or Max Duggan. I don't know if they'll drop that far. They might. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I think for the lions, your time is now, I think you got to invest in guys that are going to play for you right now. Right. Which is why I'm hoping like it's Jalen Carter, uh, Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson at six, like one of those. Right. And not to be, you know, Jalen Carter, obviously having some legal issues going on. Oh, we haven't even talked about that on the cast yet. That happened the day after. Right. I'm hoping that that affects his draft stock a little bit selfishly. Yeah. And I don't like, look, Here's what I'm thinking, right? Obviously, a bad decision was made. People are like, oh, like character issues, character issues, character issues. First of all, this was the night of their celebration of winning the national championship. I'm not going to attribute them celebrating in a dumb way as an overall conducive character issue. Second of all, I don't think anybody's beat themselves up over that situation that resulted in the death of one of his teammates more than he has, right? Like, uh, so... Uh, I don't, I don't think this is like, oh, like this dude's going to be a draft bust because he's a POS human being, like, you know, like a yeah. Henry Rugg situation or whatever. Was right. it, was what he was doing stupid? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Do I think that this makes him a bad person or a bad football player? I, I, I struggle to make that claim. And I do also selfishly hope that this affects. I just hope that it makes, you know, four teams think that he's a bad person. You know, right, or then, too risky, or whatever right. it could be. I just hope that it affects him enough to fall, you know, maybe five or six draft spots. Yeah. And know? again, um, Aiden Hutchinson was the most double teamed rookie in the league last year. This is why Mark and I are so high on getting either interior defensive line or another stud ed- edge rusher in the first round this year because of the fact that you can't double team everybody, right? And if Jalen Carter's in the middle there, you sure as hell can't double team Houston and, and Hutchinson yeah. coming off the edge. So, Dude, um, speaking of some legal issues, we have our boy, Jackson Mahomes. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, what the hell are you talking about at first? Yeah, so for those for those that aren't aware, apparently Jackson Mahomes likes to um, try to make some moves on some guys that really do not appreciate said thing happening. Um, uh, apparently, he tried to like repeatedly kiss a man that was not at all for that situation. Um, I think it was a woman, John. Was it a woman? I think it was a woman. I know you're assuming that Jackson Mahomes might not be on the straight side of things. No, he, he's openly sure. gay, I'm pretty sure, isn't he? I don't. I think he's bi. I don't know. but okay. I, It was a woman in the video. Okay. Got you. But then he also, he also pushed a waitress over as well in this entire incident. So it sounds yeah. like he was, he was hammered and really making an ass of himself. And Mark and I have, have said this a couple times on the podcast. I feel really bad for Pat because of the fact that like, and really any athlete or successful person that has family members riding off of the coattails of their success that haven't done shit with their entire lives that yeah. are then taking advantage of their family members success to go and continue to be crummy human beings. Right. He dude. I mean, he just, there's no, there's no secret. Like the chiefs won it all this year. And Jackson Mahomes was like, not at many of the games or wasn't publicly, you know, doing what he did a few years ago where it just became like, dude, stop trying to steal a spotlight. Like your brother was privately asked him to probably stop. Like had to have him and his wife, dude, his wife, like, you know, I hate to talk trash about his wife, but his wife was just as annoying. And those two together was 
just a nightmare she's, combination. She's annoying. I just don't think she's a bad person. Um, no, she's not a bad person. And I don't yeah. think Jackson's and, and they're like, a bad person. They're like college sweethearts, too, or whatever. So, like, high whatever. School, I'm not going to high school sweethearts. So, I'm not going to come Sounds familiar, John. Wife. Yeah, exactly. For those that don't know, me and my girlfriend have been together for, for we're like actually middle years. school sweethearts, eighth, eighth yeah. grade. Yeah, coming up on 10 years together. Uh, going on vacation together soon. We really can't wait. She's she's an all star. Um, Must be didn't nice. meet through football. Must met through music. So yeah, I still remember you asking me all nervous, like, dude, like, should I just what, should I just talk to her? Like, she, you know, she, she's she's this, she's that. I'm like, dude, just like it can't hurt to ask her, and you did, and you you just like never looked back. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. Um. Anyways, uh, I guess it's my love life podcast, but just on hey. the. the Welcome to, uh, you know, the new love show. We'll talk about John's love story and it will take up probably 10 episodes. He's been dating her for like 11 years. Yeah, we'll just do an episode a year of our relationship. We'll get Hannah on. He'll see her side of things. Dude, it'd be fun having Hannah on as a guest host because, uh, dude, I got to I got to see how quickly I can pull up this picture. We'll kind of try to figure it out um, as we continue the conversation. I got to show what her Super Bowl spread was food wise this past year. Oh, dude! Like no eleven out of ten. It was on no the doubt about it. So, um, hey, anyways. John, while you're finding that, pull up that clip of the podcasters. Oh my gosh! Yes, this is this is non-football related, but this this I was just scrolling and saw the kids this. In a I football just jersey when it happens. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, here, let me pull this up. Pull this up, and then you find. And I want to talk about this because I don't know if people saw this. I don't know if this is this can't be staged. Like maybe I I don't know like I I highly doubt it's staged but the it looks like a pretty natural reaction uh but I just can't I just can't even imagine like this is why me and John do our podcast inside in different locations like if me and John were sitting there and a car came first of all how does that car not just like run right through him dude I think like the the like Ma- metal bar right here literally saved their lives and yeah i mean I, it definitely wasn't staged like that car crashed it looks like they were in a police chase or something we'll run it back here and see like like is there a chance that we're getting bamboozled and this is just like you know scripted here i like because the the car the police car pulls up not 20 seconds after that happened so i think i think there was like a police chase or something maybe. i mean i mean they did cut the clip and stuff i don't know i maybe we're getting bamboozled but this if this is real is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's something Period. else for sure. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, you have to I, be brave the podcast, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I just could you imagine like if that happened? Like if I was even now, we've had to deal with some things on the podcast while we were filming. I, I don't know if I've ever actually shared this with the podcast, but like my one of the mornings that Mark and I filmed back in the early days, it was like during the summer my cat was trapped in here with me because usually she'll be out here like just meowing outside of the door the entire time. If I don't bring her in here with me, little did I know she had to take a dump and while we're filming. She took it like right next to me right here. And I had to deal with the wonderful smell of that was literally like the entire rest of the, the time that Mark and I were filming. So, and that's why you're an American hero, John, I guess so. Is I just, that you're, you, know, you fought through, now, if a car came and, and cash, you know, crashed through uh, my fifth story apartment, um, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, but... maybe like a huge bird could fly in. Also, just like perfect timing here. I think I almost have a picture of this spread. If not, no, haven't found it yet. We'll get there, though. We'll get there. Soon. No worries. I'll start talking <laughs> about I have a rant. Can I go on my rant while you find that? 
Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, so my rant, and I did a little TikTok on this, um, but you know, I have much more to say. It was it was hard to fit it all in a sixty second rant. The NFL Combine was this past weekend, and and we listen, haven't even people, started talking about it yet. Pe- people get in, people get into this obsession with the Combine, and I get it. It's kind of exciting to watch the future of the NFL kind of come out and compete a little bit and run around, and yeah, you get your forty and you know, oh, how high he can jump or how far he can jump. I get it, whatever, okay? It's cool to see that, and it's cool to see these great athletes accomplish amazing, you know, physical things. But the game of football is a very specific attention-focused sport. And if, you know, some of the stuff that you heard Coach Mono talk about, like, it just it doesn't translate with the combine. Like, the combine does not re- represent what football is. Like, football is physical. There's contact. Uh, it, it's so much more. I mean, you see such a variety of different types of people playing in the NFL sizes and, you know, variations of personality. And it's like, you don't see that when you, when you put them in a combine, you just say run there as fast as you can or jump and try to hit this thing or, you know, bench press. Like it doesn't matter. Why does it matter what a 375 pound offensive lineman from Ohio state runs in the 40? Why does it matter what Hunter Renfro benches? Like, what are we, it doesn't matter, right? There's certain things that matter, certain things that don't. And the combine loves to obsess over things that do not matter. And I hate it and I'll still watch it, but it's like, can, can I, I take know the middle that- ground on this? Can I, can I like, cause I, to some degree I agree. And I love what Dan Campbell said about it. And he's like, if I want to see how good a football player is, I watch them play football. I don't Just really care the about them running around in pajamas. And I, I thought that quote was amazing. Um, But at the same time, I, I like, there is a showcase of raw athletic ability. And I think a lot of coaches go, okay, he's got the athletic ability. How do I refine that raw athletic ability into something that is effective at the NFL level? And like the main name that I want to talk about here that I think is relevant is uh, Anthony Richardson, right? Because as, as far as just wait, as far as raw athletic ability goes, he was hands down the most athletic quarterback in the draft. That doesn't mean he's the best quarterback in the draft. I think he's far from it. I think that both Stroud and Young are hands down better quarterbacks than him as of this moment. But when people see what guys like Lamar Jackson can do, right, with both a really good arm talent, a lot of strength, and the ability to run, and they see what Richardson accomplished, they get excited, right? And I I understand, you know, say a coach um, who just went to uh, the Colts, uh, that was on the Eagles, right? I forget his the name. New head coach. Uh, like Seigel Sy- or something? Steichen. Shane Steichen. Um, he was able to develop Hurts from a, a raw athletic talent with good combine numbers that people talk shit about for two years straight into a really refined, smart, talented NFL player. And I so it depends on the coaching fit. It depends on how – right. But guys like Malik Willis – Right. That that was not totally the same situation, because I think like you look at that and you say, OK, it's just the raw athletic ability. There was a lot of quarterbacking that needed to get improved upon. And that's why he went in the third round. Richardson, I think, might be a different story. Maybe I'm getting all, this wrong. All I'm saying is all I'm saying is that, you know, this excitement you're talking about watch people natural athleticism. It's like. If you're at that point in your career. And that natural athleticism hasn't taken you to successful heights of winning football games at, at a high level. Um, 
then it probably never will. Like there's 1% of the time where you find a guy like that and it actually translates. And Jalen Hurts, you can use that comparison, but Jalen Hurts won a national championship. Jalen Hurts was playing in the biggest football games every single year. Right. Uh, and was doing very well in them. Anthony Richardson started, I think, nine or seven or nine games last year and was like three and four. And, and, and I, you know, I understand he doesn't have a huge, um, you know, sample to, to look at. But like if you just watch like his normal mechanics and him throw the ball, like he's not besides having a big arm. He's like very he's inaccurate. not very accurate. He's, he's not very, very accurate. Inaccurate. He's he's, you know, he's just kind of a raw project. And you watch CJ Stroud throw the ball and it's like, holy shit, this guy's ready to go play in the NFL. There's a right. difference. And yeah, he's, he was I just hate, a better NFL player, like NFL ready player than, than Richardson. Like Anthony Richardson will never play in the NFL. Like I'm going to say that in Sam, like he will never, he will be that like Malik Willis. might age like milk. No, Mark. that take will age very, very well because some, some idiot team will draft him in like the third round because of how he performed in the combine uh when had he not that's the problem with the combine is it, it it gives you this false story about a player like if you just watch his film Anthony i don't Richardson think is not a, i don't think he's a top five pick don't get me wrong but like he's not same, even a dude he's not worth he should be drafted in the fourth i, or fifth I round. would put i would put money that he's going in the first round i i agree no i don't think he gets drafted in the first round i think he gets drafted in the second round or third round and i think that that's too early and i think the only reason he's getting drafted there is because of this belief that you just mentioned because of what he performed at the combine which not again what you do at the combine should not affect your draft status that much it should just confirm something that you already see in someone. okay okay like what Stroud let, me, let me give you a different let me give you a different example jordan davis jordan davis has the film he has again. If it conf- if the combine confirms something that's already been shown on film, great. But you don't yeah, need the his, combine his to do that. His draft stock skyrocketed with his showcase of athletic ability. But at the he combine. was already going to be a first round pick. I mean, he was on one of the best defenses America's ever seen. That's true. And he was. I mean, you saw him. That that stuff that you saw in the combine showed on his film. Yeah. Right. So, and, like, and again, frankly, it translates. They're not wrong the all the time, too. right? There are right. there are times where there's like rare talents you know, of, of guys that people are like, Hey, he's not going to be, he's not going to be, he's not going to be great. And then they end up being great. But I'm mm-hmm. telling you, like, it's very rare. And especially at the quarterback position, there's just so many other factors that go into it. And Anthony Richardson did not show anything really on film besides a couple exciting plays, which if you're a freak athlete, you're going to make exciting plays. It happens, but right. to do it consistently, but if you're, if you're not being quarterback, right. great. You're missing CJ your Stroud, like CJ Stroud is yeah. the example, right? CJ Stroud is the example. He performed. He was a Heisman finalist back-to-back seasons at Ohio state showed it on film for a long time, came to the combine and confirmed what people thought about him. He can throw the hell out of the ball and is incredibly accurate. And it yeah. has an incredibly quick release. And he he's, he's the full package. He could maybe be the first overall pick now. Uh, that's what that's what that's the kind of combine stuff you want to see. Not yeah. some, you know, why did not Young uh, throw, by the way? Do you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I find that also interesting that some guys choose to not run or not throw. And, you know, like Jackson Smith and Jigba, for example, is not going to be the first receiver taken, probably won't be the second or third receiver taken, which, which even, is a damn shame, which is which is not the most complete. Receiver. He is by far the best com- complete receiver in this draft and would have been in the last year's draft. And both Ohio State receivers that were drafted in the first round have confirmed that Jackson Smith and Jigba is better than both of us. And he will slip. And I will, I'm just saying it right now. Some team's going to get a steal. 
Oh, totally. And, and uh, really quick, too, I, I know we're a little bit removed from the conversation, but I, this I was pretty proud of the Super Bowl spread right here. I mean, we hosted like I mean, that's people. worth looking at. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I mean that's, we got pizza and mac and cheese, it looks like, some chips. It's uh, it buffalo wings. chicken dip, pizza, uh, Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, right? How, how we oh. made that happen, right? It's uh, I never reveal my secrets. You got deviled eggs. Points. We got uh, uh, pretzels. Every everything you could That's imagine, a, right? I mean, so. it makes me want to like I haven't eaten anything today. It makes me just want to go devour some food right now. Um, yeah, I mean that was definitely worth looking at. But um, <laughs> just thought it was I worth got, pulling. Up I got sidetracked. Um, shout out, but Hannah yeah, for her, her shout out Hannah <laughs> and and shout out to the NFL Combine. It's just a scam, dude. It's just a, it, it is ninety nine. <laughs> shout out Jalen Ramsey. He sucks. Shout out to the combine. It's a and scam. shout out to Hannah. She's That's legit. But ninety nine percent, ninety nine percent of the combine stuff is a joke, John. And yeah. you know it. And you don't. You just want to buy into the Anthony Richardson hype because you know it would be so. I cool don't. I don't actually. I, I would not be super stoked if uh, the Lions were say were to take him. I don't think Brad Holmes bites on shit like that. Though, he's so not. not he's not. Him. He is not what he, people he are doesn't, saying he's going to be. Yeah. I I think he still has the potential to be coached into something that is effective at the NFL level, one hundred percent. But again, as you're saying, it would be it would make everybody feel a lot more confident if he put up those numbers and also he had great film, right? Because the film I, I'll take lie. A- I'll put I'll end it with this: the film does not lie. The combine does and often does. Okay. Yeah. That's, That's the moral of the story. That. That's the moral of the story. And his film is not great. Okay. There's some good and there is some great on it, but overall I would not say his film's very good. It's very, very average. It's yeah. not top three right. round draft pick worthy. Right. And someone, some idiot team will take him early. Like you said, because right. of this nonsense. Well, and, and then, so I hate that. You know what? You know what just popped in my head? You know where he's probably going to land? Raiders. <sighs> That's that's where he's gonna land. He's gonna and then be, he'll be a bust. And the, yep. Yeah. Oh God, the story's already playing out like perfectly in my head right now. The Raiders. You ever are heard of Jamarcus? You ever heard of Jamarcus Russell? Oh, just yeah. just a little bit. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, you ever heard God, the story I... with the? You ever heard the story with Jamarcus Russell and the game tape that they asked him to study? No. All right. Well, if, uh, this is a. Uh, a lot of people know this story, but I'll tell it for people that don't. Um, I, I don't know it, so yeah, it's a good story. Me. So Jamarcus Russell's number one overall draft pick. He was one of the most hyped guys coming out of college. Uh, great talent, right? Great talent. He had good film, very good film. He tested well. Um, they bring him in, number one overall draft pick. He's you know he's the prodigy. Uh, they get into camp, and he was struggling, not getting the playbook, not really committing himself to what they were trying to do. They sent him home with uh, some game tape to study. Okay. Back then it was discs. So he goes home, uh, comes in, they quiz him. They say, okay, well, what did you think of the tape? And he, you know, he showed his notes and said, you know, whatever. I, I thought it was great. Uh, this is what I took from it. The disc was blank. They didn't put anything on the disc on purpose. And he went and he came in and lied shortly after he was cut, probably considered the biggest bust in NFL history. Um, I did but, not know that at all. Yeah. They gave the him a blank tape. disc. Yeah, blank disc, nothing on it. And he came in and had this whole thing about what he was watching and what he took from it. And there was nothing on the disc. So that was like his rookie year. It doesn't get worse than that. I mean, Kyler Murray playing COD, but it doesn't get worse than someone giving you a blank disc and you come in and you're like, oh, yeah. I I feel the the 
Kyler Murray playing Call of Duty narratives are only going to mount now that he has the ACL situation too, which sucks for him. Um, but also he kind of dug his own grave in that situation. Like the ACL sucks. I feel really bad about it. I don't want any player to get injured, but now because of the fact you've already created that narrative for yourself that you like video games more than you like football, people are just going to jump on the dog. You know what sucks too, John is like, in today's NFL, like so many of these guys are like publicly streamed. Like Tyreek Hill streams like twice a week, like during the season. Uh, Sauce Gardner is like become a you know he's trying to get into the streaming thing in this off season. I get I mean, like in the off season, but like dude, I'm, a lot no, of these guys I'm, are like. I'm honestly not even gonna talk shit about that because of the fact. I'm that, not. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying like Kyler Murray got a bad rap for doing the same thing. Oh, got you. Okay, you know okay. what I mean. Yeah, and it's like well, it sucks yeah, as, because as soon as your performance on the field doesn't match what people expect, that's the first thing they're gonna do. Like you, Taylor Lewan got shit for doing a podcast. Right. And, and people so are allowed the... to have hobbies because that's the thing. Right. It's like, uh, you know, Mark knows I have a very demanding day job that I think I'm pretty dang good at. And it would really piss me off if after all the dedication I put into that day job, people were like, oh, well, uh, we see that you're posting a podcast once a week. Like, what are you doing with that extra time? It's like yeah, existing, it's... like living, Dude, enjoying people, my free time. Like <laughs> these players like can do some other th- like, OK, you want to bash Taylor Lewan? Look at the Kelsey brothers. How did their season go? They did a podcast every week. Yeah, right. Like, it's <laughs> and not... both of them made the Super Bowl. Right. Not just like, one of them. What a joke, dude. You know, like these. Yeah. But again, Kyler Murray gets a bad rap, dude. You know, and a lot of these players are playing video games. A lot of these guys are younger than you and I. You don't think yeah. they're playing the new Call of Duty or Rocket League or yeah. you know uh, the Last of Us or some shit? Like they're doing something. Did you, did you, you started watching the Last of Us. Right? I have been watching the Last of Us. I didn't play okay. the game. It's Mark unbelievable. Like, first of all, if you think the the show is unbelievable which it is it's some of the best tv i've You're watched like the 30th in a long person time. that's that's told me this the too, game though I, and i don't doubt oh, it i've seen some of the so side-by-side good. clips too of like the mm-hmm. show with the video game and it's like pretty i mean it makes me it's really accurate one but like, two, it when, makes when the sh- when the show's over just go the, the remastered version is on playstation for probably i'm gonna have, like I'm gonna have to 30 dude. bucks right now and yeah. i i guarantee you that game is the most I wouldn't say it's the scariest game I've ever played, but it's easily the most suspenseful because uh, your your ammo supply is always very low. And so you have to get really creative on how you're going to survive each stage. And it gets very tough. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Also, shout out to a God of War. I've been playing that game a lot in my free time. Incredible game. Uh, I never got big into God of War, but um both of those yeah i mean moral of the story is these guys are humans and if me and john can sit around and play video games for a couple hours you know sometimes when we want to just kind of take it easy or we want to do a podcast and on top of like what we do in our everyday life i think that these players definitely can handle a little bit of that and as long as like your performance doesn't drastically change and it and you never do who knows what else kyler murray was going through maybe he had some personal issue like Maybe he just wasn't, you know, clicking with the the offensive system. Like again, we talk about chemistry. He clearly yeah. didn't have a great one with Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. Um, well, and we we said this last week too. Like these guys are not video game characters; they're humans at the end they're of the human day. Beings. Sometimes they have shitty days, and sometimes they have lagging in- injuries that they play through. And like it's it's really important to remember that human element of of not just NFL players, but really anybody that has like status in life that they're just like you know anybody else at the end of the day, and they have feelings and emotions and blah blah blah. Um, what one. Sorry, free agency related thing that I wanted to mention before it, it gets lost in the shuffle because I actually think this is a great opportunity. Uh, Byron Jones, who is a cornerback for the Miami Dolphins, got released today. 
I believe his contract, don't quote me the exact number, but I think it was like $13 million. Let's see if I can I can pull the uh, tweet that I sent to Mark. Um, yeah, $13.6 million is what Miami saved against the salary cap by cutting him. Um, look, if Detroit throws, say, the same kind of money that we threw at DJ Chark last year, like 9, 10 mil to have another reliable cor- corner in the building, and then we still look at maybe drafting a corner in the second round, I would feel so much better about our defensive backfield situation. We already got a guy in Walker. We already got a guy in Joseph. We already got a guy in Jerry Jacobs, who was a freaking uh, undrafted free agent signing from Holmes, which I didn't know personally. That was, that was, and he's better than Okuda in my opinion. Like that would make me, feel I'm not like- against it. I'm not against it. Honestly, John, what are, what's our second pick? What are the, what's the, the lions have the sixth, sixth and 18th. And then we have two second rounders and a third. So rounder. here, hear me out. I, and I know this doesn't make sense for what we have, but if we get to 18 and Jackson Smith and jigs and Jigba's there, I, I think you have to take him. If, if you, he's move- the, if he's the, if you move off of Chark, either that or, again, like, I would not be mad about Robinson either because of the fact that, like, oh, you don't take a running back in the first round. Okay, do you take a running back in the first round that can catch, yeah. has super high football intelligence, playing behind the best off- one of the best offensive lines in the league? Like, right. I care about how effective that player is on your team. That's what makes them a first-round talent to me, not their position. And to me, having that running back on our team with Jamal Williams makes the Lions offense the number one offense in the league, period. Like, I, I mean, I, don't even I just have to think twice making that claim. I just I, I'm comfortable with what we have at running back and receiver, which is like, the, you know, already, which is the big thing. But like, I'm telling you, man, like, like both those guys are generational talents and it's a matter of who gets them. But like, and they're both going to fall in the draft just because of, you know, Robinson's going to fall just because he's a running back. And there's like a narrative that you don't draft running backs high. He'll probably be maybe a top 20 pick. He probably should be a top eight pick. Like they're saying he's that good. And then um, if, if the team, if you watch his tape, it, if, if you watch his tape, it's no joke. Like that dude's a freak of nature. Um, And then Jackson Smith and Jake was arguably the best overall player in the draft. Like he, he, he is unbelievably good. I mean, you, we saw two Ohio State receivers in the NFL last year tear it up as rookies, and both of them said, this dude's better than us. <laughs> I know. It's nuts. So, yeah, I'm I'm really curious on what's going to happen with that. Personally, I do, not, I do not mind going offense at 18 if we grab a edge rusher at six. That's what I'd like to see personally. I don't, I'm scared we're going to draft a corner at six, and I'm going to be very angry. I don't care who it is. Yeah, I just and there's some there's some damn good ones. Don't there's get some me good wrong. Ones, it's but you too just high. Can't it's take too high. At, we did we not I learn agree. from Akuda? You know, like the Sauce Gardner thing worked out for them, but there's a lot of times where DBs are risky to take. Well, and and if I'm not if I'm thinking properly, uh, Sauce was the second DB off of the board behind Stingley, right? He was, but they went three five, I think. Yeah. So uh, all worth considering. Um, I think that uh, overall, like I would really, really prefer to see us take an edge rusher and an interior defensive line at that at that position. And by by naming those positions, I mean I want to see Jalen Carter, Anderson, or Tyree Wilson. I think Wilson is in that same conversation as those other two guys as far as talent goes. You watch his tape. I think he's a little a little bit behind. He's a hell of a player, but I just think that I think Will Anderson is in a category of his own. Yes, and then I think I, I think that those guys are below him. But Will Will Anderson is he's he's probably the best, if not second best, behind Jackson Smith and Jake yeah. player yeah. in the draft overall. 
No. Oh man. I, I so I was gonna mention this to you. Obviously, I'm on vacation next week. The week after that, I do think we should start doing some mock draft stuff. I think it'd actually be fun if uh we had some guests on, had everybody like pick whatever team they wanted, right? Like, you know, you can pick the Lions, I'll pick the Saints, whoever. Like, you know, and then we all just go through and, and go through a mock draft, explain our picks, maybe even try to make a couple trades. Cause you know, I was also playing around like Trading with the Seahawks doesn't seem like a horrible idea if you're the Lions. Trading with the Saints doesn't seem like a horrible idea. If, if you're you the can't Lions, get, like, dude, if you can't get Jalen Carter or Will Anderson at six, I think it's a no-brainer. You trade our pick because yeah. you can get the 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 defensive back you want at 11, 12. Well, and could you, you know? imagine say Brad Holmes with three first-round picks to work? That's with? what I'm saying, dude. Like, and, and again, do the guy you want is going to be there at 11 probably? If you, if Jalen Carter or Will Anderson's not there. And the next best guy that's assist will probably be there at 11 or 12. Or yeah. if you want to try to go and get risky and take a Robinson or a Jackson Smith, he'll be one of those guys is going to be there at 18, I think. Right. You know, and, and once again, like I really, really trust Brad Holmes' ability to evaluate players at any point in the draft. First, be it f- first round, fifth round, sixth round. He's clearly shown yeah. that he, he sees things in players that not everybody sees and they, what probably I'd say is an 80% hit rate out of the guys that he drafts out of these past two classes. And that might even be blowballing a little bit. So uh, to me, it's like, whatever that dude wants to do, I'm for it. Don't draft Anthony Richardson at six. Maybe that might be the only thing that pisses me off. Um, I'll, I'll jump off of a bridge. I think if that happens, you're so dramatic. <laughs> I didn't say I would die. I just jump off a bridge into some water. And hope I drown. Oh man. Um, is there any top any other topics you want to cover? I mean, we're we're 90 minutes into this episode. This was this was a hell of an episode, though. It's been a blast. Uh, I kind of wanted to keep really, going, but I just don't have anything more football related to talk. It's about. a really fun episode. Um, <laughs> you know, we've we've covered just about everything there is in the news world. This this was a crazy free agency trade week uh overall. Yeah. And I think we covered most of it. Obviously, there's there's always going to be more and stuff's always happening. And, you know, there's only a couple guys like Adam Schefter in the world that can kind of have those news like breaking like that. Um, me and John, unfortunately can't do that because we have, well, lives to live. Um, but this was an awesome episode. And again, we want to thank coach Bono for coming on. I, I, I just think he was able to tell some really cool stories from perspective that you just don't get typically you know no, I just it was it was amazing fine. having him on uh and i mean like what we had probably 35 40 minutes of his time there and again just like all of the experiences he's allowed to draw from i mean he has a full career of doing stuff at the highest highest level and it's it's just amazing um and again like i gotta shout out mark every time because he's the one working these connections man i my football career ended my senior year of high school Mark went on to play at the next level for a little while. And uh, he definitely seemed like he, he made it worth his while because of the fact that he has all these amazing people we get to bring on as guests. Um, And it's my goal for this year to bring on a couple guys myself. I just, uh, you know, got to work some different connections than Mark does with, with that like central Michigan rock that he has that allows him to kind of branch out to all the other places in the league. Yeah. We've got, uh, we've got a lot of, um, stuff in the works we'll say that there's some there's definitely some awesome guests that we are working on getting on we've already had so many great ones this is part of another you know probably my favorite part of what we do with the show is um 
you know, me and John can talk all day long about football, but I think it's really special when you bring in a different face, whether it's one of our friends, whether it's somebody that is, you know, around the league or around college football or a super fan or whatever it is, but just hearing somebody else come in and have a perspective and kind of provide a different voice. That's my favorite part, dude. It just brings people together, man. Football brings people together and we do a good job. I think of getting guys on here and, and just talking ball and bringing people in and talking football. That's what people want to do anyway. Might as well do it on a podcast. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> I think, I think we're keeping things plenty entertaining in the, the off season so far. I mean, things are just only going to heat up. So uh, I, I think we should start live streaming a little more often too, especially as we kind of get closer to the draft. I just think there's a lot of fun shit to happen there. So we appreciate everybody's attention. This was a super fun episode. And as Mark uh, alluded to, we got more to come. Also, uh, buy our merch and subscribe and follow us on social media and all that stuff. I don't think we do a great job plugging on the podcast. We really do appreciate the support we get, man. Like, John, I again this past weekend, I don't, I didn't even tell you, but I bumped into some people that uh, I hadn't seen in a while, and they, the, one of the first things they brought up was that they really like listening to our our podcast, and I, it just is cool. Like, it's it's reassuring and, and it's uh, like humbling to hear people say that, you know. Um, but we do appreciate it. And if you guys give us any support and share with friends and family, it's worth it. Even if you just want to argue with us about our shitty takes on social media, if you like, want to just judge, if you just want to judge John and tell him to get a haircut, like it doesn't right, matter yeah. what, what right, you want to trim, trim my beard every once in a while yeah. or something like that. I actually did get that, that shit lined up. Today yeah. The, the beard's lined up real nice today. Yeah. We're, we're looking all right. We're looking all right. Um, anyways, we will see you guys next week. I will. It will probably be a shorter episode as I will be uh, streaming from vacation, but it should be a good time. Um, we will catch you guys then. Mark, you seem like you have something you got to say before I sign off here. I'm just, John's going to be in freaking paradise and I'm going to be sitting in this damn home office, you know, and I'm just going to be like wanting to punch him through the screen. So yeah, next week's episode will be fun. John will be recording from, you know, an undisclosed location of, of paradise and uh, it'll be good. It'll be fun. We'll probably have a ton of new news. I'll I'll disclose it next week. It should be a good time. Uh, We will catch you guys later. I'm sure some of these kind of free agency debacles are going to what? Oh man, John, they're going to think they're going to leave a free agency. They're going to think that you have a uh, uh, fake background, but it's not, it's his real vacation that he's just a baller and is going on. And I'm very jealous. Hey, so I I did a lot of boring stuff through my college years in order to get to doing fun stuff post-college. So that's all I'll say. Um, We will. This has been the longest outro I think we've ever had. We will catch you guys next week. Peace. See you guys.